Welcome, welcome, welcome to the ninth episode of the Naturally Ever After podcast. My name is Nidia Guiti, and by profession, I am a licensed clinical social worker. In this podcast, I share ways to overcome emotional barriers in obtaining outward beauty. I firmly believe that mindset and perspective shifts how we think and feel about ourselves. So welcome, welcome, welcome everyone for tuning in. This episode is super special for two reasons. One, this is the first episode of the Naturally Ever After podcast where I have guests. I was able to have an amazing conversation with Radalisa Sarsuela and Duran Young from Black Therapist Rock. As we celebrate the official last day of minority, excuse me, as we celebrate the official last day of minority mental health awareness, which I took upon myself to rename global majority mental health awareness, because truthfully, that's where the world is moving. Um, We talked about IFS, which is internal family systems. We talked about colorism and we talked about texturism. I hope that you enjoy this conversation just as much as I did being a part of it and recording it. We'll chat soon. Bye. Okay, so we are recording. Hello, everyone. I have two special guests today, um, Radalisa and Duran. So let's start with Radalisa first. Introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. So my name is Radalisa Sarzuela. Is that Spanish as it gets, right? <laughs> but <laughs> Radalisa, um, I am a mental health counselor and I work for an organization called Steps to End Family Violence, where I provide um, group and individual counseling to female identified youth from the ages of 13 to 24. Welcome. And we also have the Duran Young, founder of Black Therapist Rock. I feel like that has its, its own introduction with itself. Welcome, Duran. Yes, very happy to be here. I also want to add that I'm the new, uh, I, the new uh, ambassador for IFS, and that's a role that I'm really starting to enjoy and um, really grow into. So I'm really excited about that. So our audience can't see us, but me and Radalisa were clapping the moment you said that. <laughs> Insert clap. So thank you so yes. much for joining me, ladies. So today's podcast topic for the official last day of Minority Mental Health Awareness, which, side note, I renamed in my head Global Majority Mental Health Awareness. We're going to talk about colorism and texturism as it relates to IFS. And in this podcast, I've spoken about IFS a ton of time. So for anyone that's new and listening, IFS stands for Internal Family Systems, and it is an evidence-based model that I've been trained in. And well, I was introduced to it by, um, I was reading, what is it? Oh, The Body Keeps the Score. And I'm going to add the book link to this podcast episode. And then through Black Therapist Rock, at the first time that I went to the conference is when I saw the first demo and I've been like hooked. Since. Which is going to be my question for you, Lisa. How were you introduced to IFS? So my supervisor, um, I think she's been reading up on um, the book Self Therapy. Okay. Yeah, and I think um, it gives like a background information, if not what the IFS modality is. Mm. Um, and so she was trying. She was doing her research and like, like on top of wanting us, the clinicians, to be trained on IFS. Mm-hmm. So that's how um, we ended up getting like a scholarship and they came to us. Um, I want to say back in September, like almost a year. Yeah, almost a year ago. Um, and we were able to um, be trained. Um, Duran was my PA mm-hmm. for the second time around because it was broken into a um, couple of months or mm-hmm. um, different times. And yeah, that's how IFS um, came about for, for me. Mm-hmm. what about you Duran I feel like I know your story I'm like yeah so this is how I know I'm I like, Let like me everybody know. knows my story because I got a big mouth <laughs> um, it kind of it goes with the role right ambassador um I was a client of IFS um upon retiring from the military so I have a lot of childhood trauma and I joined the military which kind of just kept that trauma going and you know mm-hmm. perpetuated it 
and stuffed it down real nice in a, in a, in a good, pretty package, you know, of achievement and striving and leadership. But I had no idea who I was, what I wanted, what I desired for my life, what, you know, what my, my end goal was, what would make me happy. I wasn't happy. I knew that. Um, and I knew that all the accomplishments, achievements, degrees, money wasn't it. Even being a mother and a wife wasn't it. So I was just like, I need to find out why I'm not happy and, and how I can change that. So I went to a intensive uh, trauma program it's called the Trauma Day Center, and it was IFS influenced. I had been doing trauma work with you know military members for at least almost a decade, but I had never heard of this model. So I was like, what is this magic y'all just did on me? Right. And they, they said, it's called internal family systems. And I was like, I got to know about this. More black therapists need to know about this. Because I knew that, you know, when we talk about parts and just um, adapting to your environment, I think people of color are probably like world-class champions at that. We have mm-hmm. a lot of parts that have really, you know, helped us survive and thrive, even some of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my how I got introduced to IFS. I love that you said magic, because that's literally what it felt like for me, like the first time I had a demo. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm just like, wait, what did you just do on me? <laughs> what just happened? And why Why is this like the, the part of me that felt some way like not as um, as overactive as it had been or as overactive as I've been accustomed to that part being? Yeah, I can say now that I'm like deeper into the model, I re- I'm really starting to like have a, a really deep, it takes at least, people say it takes, you know, 10,000 hours before you're good at it. Um, I think it takes at least three or four years before you really have a deep understanding of how the mm-hmm. brain, like neuro, the neuroscience of IFS, right. like how this really interacts with your brain. Um, mm-hmm. And what I'm understanding is it's really about embracing vulnerability, mm-hmm. which, you know, nobody loves. <laughs> Uh, Brene Brown says the, the thing that we we love to see in others but hate to feel in ourselves. Mm-hmm. So um, IFS really looks at those vulnerabilities and it just gets us to um, have compassion for them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really start to love and explore and hear the messages that they have for us, the wisdom of our hardships and our insecurities, really. Right. And vulnerability is hard. Like, well, I'll ask I'll ask the two of you. Rana Lisa, what what are your what's your take on vulnerability? Like just the concept of it. Oh, but being able to, you know, be raw. That mm. feeling of rawness is it can be very scary. Um and just even thinking about IFS and how um it works and again with Deran, I'm so grateful for it because I think she also has taught me um, the the notion of like what it means to be courageous while you're also being vulnerable mm-hmm. and letting your true self um, be known to you and be known to others. Absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I am an open book. I'm as open as it, it can, you know, it comes or it gets. Uh, but I've gotten comfortable again, mm-hmm. even though it's scary at moments. I have gotten comfortable being vulnerable because also the work that I do has allowed me to see and be there fully for clients who come to me. Right. And they're being so vulnerable. Right. And even through them, I learn. okay, I mean, of course, I'm not going to be vulnerable with my clients, Mm -hmm. but you know, when I, when it comes to close friends or family members, um, the idea of like, how can I be vulnerable, even though they might judge or they might not understand, but Mm -hmm. knowing that they will still be there to, to, to at least try to understand and really listen to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's where it's worked. I've been, you know, it's practice. Um, but I think the biggest thing is also allowing yourself to be vulnerable towards yourself and connecting that with part. those parts. That part. <laughs> yes. That part. Absolutely. I know for me, like when I think of vulnerability, it's not even so much about how much I share with other people, but more so like how much I'm admitting to myself that something felt uncomfortable, something doesn't feel right, or just validating whatever feeling I have. It's almost like falling back in love with like myself. Yeah. Self-discovery. Man. (laughs) Absolutely. I just wanted to add that I, what from working with Brene Brown and her stuff is a, another model 
um, mm-hmm. all of her work around shame and vulnerability. Um, she says what gets in the way of our vulnerability is shame. So, mm-hmm. you know, our fears and, and we, we've been kind of taught that you're supposed to have it all together, be in control, you know, never let them see you sweat. And so our society is constantly striving for control in an imperfect world, you know? Mm-hmm. So her definition of vulnerability is uncertainty, emotional exposure and risk. And so we've been kind of told not to take risk, you know, to, to be safe, to play it safe, go with the flow, just fit in. Uh, what, one of the things I was thinking about earlier is like be normal or be like the norm. And I'm like, who defines the norm? That's, right. that's what's problematic about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, we've all been told that white is right. And um, it's, it's vul- I think this conversation in itself is very vulnerable. You know, we're talking about something that a lot of people are not comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability is discomfort. That's what it is to me. It's like, oh, shoot, I'm going to be uncomfortable. And some shame is going to get something that I've been shamed about is, is, is kind of on, you know, is the part that's up right now. So it's like, okay, I can go walk towards that part um, instead of walking towards the shame. Mm-hmm. And you said something, Duran, about being taught like what normal is supposed to be or conditions to believe what like normal is supposed to be, you know, white is right, which leads to the topic of this podcast about colorism and texturism. So I have a question for the two of you ladies. When was your first memory that you can think of where you knew that your skin color was different? I know for me, I always felt different. Um, I don't know if it was like watching TV because I used to watch a lot of TV as a kid. And uh, so I would like watch TV and I think the media really kind of gives you a a real strong portrayal of what's considered normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And back in those days, you know, growing up in Texas and the the music and the media and TV, um, I primarily saw white families. You know, I would watch like, um, you know, all the family sitcoms and it was mainly like white people or, you know, even if it was a a black family. One of the things that I always noticed, I think I was probably around five or six when I started noticing this, the moms, like the wife was always either fair skin, straight hair, you know, especially back in the Mm eighties. I I don't think I ever saw hardly, you know, too many um, dark skin, like kind of like dark skin and Vivian. You know, that's, versus light that's skin. First thing that came to mind just now. I was like, Aunt Viv was dark, but then but they chased her and right. she was white. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think even in the music videos, you know, I, I love to watch music videos. So I would notice that the girls that were considered pretty were fair skinned, you know, lighter skinned, mm-hmm. and um, had a loose curl pattern. And it wasn't me. And I think also when my mom would do our hair, you know, She'd always say, oh, you got bad hair. This hurts so hard. You know, I got to do so much to your hair. So I saw my hair as problematic always, I think. And she would always tell me, like, my hair was the, the, the most coarse texture of all my sisters. Hmm. You know, that it took longer to do my hair. And, like, my hair just seemed to be more of an issue than my two other sisters. So hmm. it was, I think it's, it's, it's a legacy burden. My mom was dark-skinned, too. And she would always tell me growing up, she would, you know, get teased and be called the tar baby in school. So I was scared to go to school. You know, I was like, oh, so I'm, she was like, you know, thank God for my sisters because we used to just fight. And I was like, I don't, you know, I'm the first one. I'm the oldest. And yeah. I don't want to go to school and have to fight somebody because I'm black. <laughs> you know? Like, what a silly thing. So I, I think I had a lot of parts that were just preemptive, like, oh, you know, expected. I expected um, for people to treat me differently in school or kids to treat me differently. And they did, mm-hmm. you know, so I can't, it's always been there for me. What about you, Lisa? What's, what was, what's your first memory um, when you realized that your skin color was different? Um, I just, the thought of it always makes me um, emotional because it had to do with my, my little sister. I think I was about, seven or eight at the time and she was about four or five and I remember we were playing and I was looking at her um you know the school pictures mm-hmm. um and she had her little two pigtails and I was like oh Madeline you look so beautiful you look so cute because she had like the cutest dimples the, like the perfect little smile mm-hmm. and she was like no I look so ugly I wish I was your skin color Radalisa and at eight seven I'm just kind of like not fully comprehending. I'm like, 
what do you mean? And I remember telling her, I'm like, what are you talking about? You're so beautiful. Um, and I even remember <clears throat> growing up, I would compare myself a lot to her because to me, she was all, always um, the prettiest, as, like the pretty sister, even though, um, you know, in the, in the, and I think it's all across the span of all cultures, but with Latinos or like Afro-Latinos, there's always like that type of um, uh, endearment, right? So like, oh, if they call us, oh, la negrita, or negrita, my right. sister, then my sister would be called la indua. So basically like, oh, you're Indian. Like mm -hmm. she would be mistaken for an Indian, um, mm -hmm. a girl because so of her skin complexion. Lisa, where are you from? Or where's, what's your nationality? Um, so my family's from the Dominican Republic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I was born and, and raised here. Okay. So, so this yeah. is a parallel. So I yeah. was also born and raised in the United States, mm -hmm. and my family's from Honduras. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's just so like wow, seeing seeing that from such a young age, mm -hmm. but not fully comprehending up until I probably got to college. Mm -hmm. You know, so being like really misguided, um, learning things that now to this day I see myself and I'm like, wow, I can't even imagine. I can't even I can't believe I thought that way. I can't even believe I would say such things. Mm -hmm. um, but that um, impact or interaction with my sister really um, like was just kind of like, oh, my God, for me at the moment. And even going back to the whole comparison, like she was the one, quote unquote, with the good hair. Right. Her hair was like um, when she was like growing up, she had the straight pin, long black hair. And I was the, the one with the quote unquote bad hair that I would at eight, imagine eight, seven, getting my hair permed and being told, oh, no, we got to straighten those your hair because you, you um, your hair is really bad, mm -hmm. you know. And so imagine that um, negative like message that you're hearing as a child. For my sister, it was hearing Indua. For me, it was like, oh, um, you have bad hair. So mm -hmm. I hated my hair for, for a long time. And again, it goes back to the whole comparing myself to my sister. And I never understood why she was so like against her skin color when I used to view her as the most beautiful girl ever. Yeah. But with time, you know, as you grow and you see and you go through different experiences, you start to realize, oh, that's what it was. Right. For me, that was just kind of like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, like that legacy piece about, like, things, learning things that mm -hmm. were probably never ours to begin with. And it's just like, well, where did this come from? Right. Where does this thing come from? Duran mentioned the media. I can think back to when I when I noticed something different about skin color. I used to watch novelas all the time when I was little. Mm -hmm. Novelas mm -hmm. are soap operas, y'all. Mm -hmm. The main characters, the, you, these novelas are usually based in like Mexico, where they speak like Mexican Spanish. And um, if you did see a person of color in the in in the novelas, it was usually the help or someone like panhandling in the street, something. Or if there was a character, it was like a neighbor of somebody. And you know, they would occasionally make appearances, but like never a, never the leading role. And I'm just like, you know that there are black people in these countries, right? Why, why is it not represented on TV the way that it is when you actually go to these countries? That's, that was my first memory. That was my first memory of it. So my question to the two of you, because it kind of just ties in a little bit. When was your first memory that your hair texture was different? Duran mentioned um, seeing like the looser patterns on TV. But my question is more like in your day-to-day -day life, like when, when was it like in your face that, okay, this is different? I think too, for me growing up in Texas, like we used to go in the summer, we used to go to a place called the Girls Club. And like, I remember being probably like, oh, seven? And, like, my thing was to play with, <laughs> this is going to sound strange, but, like, the white girls would be like, play in my hair, braid my hair. Mm -hmm. And that's what we would do. Like, the black girls would play in the white girl's hair. and be Like, your hair is so pretty. Like, kind of like a worship almost, looking back. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that was kind of twisted, you know? Like, there's a lot of twisted things about growing up in Texas. I'm, I'm now discovering. Um, and I think, like Radalisa said, you know, having your hair perm 
I can't, I don't even remember how old I was because it was so early. Hmm. It was so early and you don't have a choice and, you know, it's just, it's just what needs to happen because your hair has to be straight. Right. You know, so now I'm going backwards and like trying to unpack all those messagings. And um, Mm -hmm. one of the things I just realized that how pervasive uh, racism is. So we consider it a collective legacy burden in um, IFS. And I think it's a global collective legacy burden. Like you can't go to too many places and not experience some form of colorism, colorism, even texturism. When I was in Africa, I would have a hard time getting my hair done because I had natural hair. And most of the girls in in Ghana specifically, you know, wearing weaves and straight hair perms, you know, they were on time for their relaxers. Mm -hmm. They didn't skip a beat. And, you know, so I would go to the salon and like, don't you want to, one lady said, and I'll never forget this. Don't you want to change your hair? This hair isn't nice. And I thought, wow, in Africa? But, you know, colonialism was, is everywhere. The effects of, yeah, colonialism is just... So for me, I'm just like racism, the impact, the psychological impacts of racism is, is hard to escape it. Oh, I'm, with, I'm there with you, Joanne. Um, I feel like for me, um, so all my life, uh, from, eight, from age eight up until 18, I was straightening my hair. I would never leave my hair um, curly or anything mm-hmm. because, I, again, I was told from such a young age you have bad hair, you have to straighten it, Mm -hmm. right? But I came across, um, yeah, in college, I decided, or a little bit before I got to grad school, I was like, I discovered um, Sunkiss Alba. She's like this YouTuber and she's she's everything natural, including her hair. And so when Mm -hmm. I saw her, I felt like I saw myself in her. I was like, oh my goodness, this, this, this girl is so beautiful. And her curls, oh my God, I want my hair like that because I, know, I knew to have my hair, like when I was younger, had the curliest of hair. So I was like, I want to go natural. And boy, that was, that was a hard transition. And having <laughs> to adapt to seeing like straight ends and just mm-hmm. being like, you know what? No, I'm going to stick to what I want, to what I, because it's me, it's fully me. Like I want to see myself, how I basically came into this world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and um, and that was me up until this day. Like right now I have my hair tied back. I always joke around and say, when you see me like this, it's because I haven't had time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you usually see my, my hair all out and it's so big and, um, the transition has been so worth it because I'm kind of like, wow, this, this is who I am. This is me. And even recently, like um, I want to say a year or two ago, um, I remember going to a Latina research con- conference and kind of like, you know, again, dressing up, you have to look all professional, no? And then I remember my mom saying, you're going with your hair like that? And I just looked at her and I was like, yeah why and she was like oh you should like fix it a quote unquote go straighten it and i'm like nah. i'm like nah mom i'm good i'm good this is how you made me i feel good about leaving my hair this way and when i got to the conference you see so many um women with their natural hair and or their curls everything and i'm just like wow and here's my mom telling me to go straighten my hair um i think that's that's generational that's so generational because this like I've even had moments where like I'm getting ready to go like to an interview or maybe a new contract assignment. I mean, I've been working with the agency where I'm with for a long time, but you're always meeting new people. So, you know, on a good hair day when, you know, my twist style is great, fine. I feel confident in going. And then there's like this little voice inside that says, are you sure you want to go out like that? Yeah. You want to slick this hair down to a sleek bun? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I feel like I fight the voice and I just go anyway so that I can teach myself to just show up as I am because I didn't doubt that it looked good in the first place. Mm -hmm. But to Duran's point about like just colonialism being global, I don't know who I'm going to interact with when I get to said place. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you just don't have the energy to be the educator. And I want to chime in on that point, too, because like as you guys were talking about the generational kind of burden, I I now 
I can understand that the people who came before us and even like just um, 10 years older than us, you know, people who were born, uh, people of color, women of color who were born before us, they didn't have some of the privileges, I think, that we have. They didn't have. So I see it as a legacy gift for yeah. us to be to have the courage enough to, you know, show up in the world the way we see ourselves or the way we naturally are. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that, you know, like my mom or my grandmother, and, and especially in Texas, because my great grandmother picked cotton, you mm. know, so mm. like even just the idea of a hair being a priority, I think is a, a gift. Mm-hmm. So I also just want to, you know, acknowledge the ancestors all the time because they yeah. put in a lot of work for us to be where we are today. That's a great point to add, because I think that sometimes I know for me, well, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes, like, in this IFS lingo or world, I I focus so much sometimes on, like, what's not going well that, like, I need to be reminded, kind of like now, well, there's there's a privilege in in the fact that you're even able to have these conversations because the gift that came from everything is where you are right now. So although there's a lot of unlearning for me, there's also, like, a lot of gifts that I received that I don't, I haven't highlight it as much as I should. I'm definitely going to be intentional about that one. Thank you, Duran. So my, I had a, I had another question because um, Halalisa was talking about when she stopped relaxing her hair. So for the two of you, how old, well, not, you don't have to say your age, but when did you decide to stop chemically straightening your hair and why? Like for me, um, at 18, 18, 19. Um, and I remember specifically because I also had a multicultural counsel, counseling class mm-hmm. where I think for me, it just opened my eyes to, to so many things and just the idea of how I was thinking or grew up to believe um, certain um, messages or just even down to how I was supposed to look or, mm-hmm. or behave and be and realize oh my God, no, 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 no. Again, the whole idea of being colonized and um, having to be a certain way because this is how you, you're supposed to be as an American, whatever that means. Um, I think for me, it was just kind of like, no, I have to find myself. I have to, again, uh, rediscover or be in touch with my, what, my, my, my own roots, my, my Afro roots as well. Right? Because being Dominican for me, and even um, looking back at my own um, family history and um, seeing how I see pictures of my grandfather and how much I resemble my grandfather, and then you, um, and then I see pictures of my grand grandmother and how she also kind of, in a way, represents the ideal quote unquote what you would call a Dominican woman, whether it's with the body type, the hair. You know, so again, all these internalized messages that I was taught, I was like, no, I made the conscious decision that I had to unlearn all of that. And in the future, when I have children, I don't want them to struggle or think about the way I was thinking because I don't. And I found that it was also negatively impacting my self-esteem, like, you know, thinking of, oh, my God, I have I have bad hair. Like, I can't look this way. I feel ugly. Um, so those messages, I, I said, no, 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 I, I need to cut that because I don't want it to continue. I don't, I don't want that um, legacy burden. You know, it stops with me. Right. Mm-hmm. What about you, Duran? What, what motivated you to like, stop chemically straightening your hair? Okay, can y'all hear me? I feel like uh, the, I'm getting closer to the plane. And my reception is getting bad. So for those who are listening to the podcast right now at the airport, and um, yeah, this was really important to me. I wanted to get this done this month, and I really wanted to be a part of this conversation. So I was like, layover? Cool. We're doing it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We appreciate you. Uh, so one of the things I want to say, I think it's so dope when people say, like, I made the decision as soon as I could make the decision. So the fact that Radalisa was like at 18 years old, I just, I love when I hear women say that, you know, as soon as I gained power over my body and my hair, I started empowering myself through my decision-making, through my choices. Um, For me, it took a long time. 
And I think one of the other layers of kind of identity that I've been really thinking about lately is kind of where you regional, like geographic differences. And, you know, growing up in Texas versus growing up in New York City, like where y'all come from or where y'all were born and raised, um, not where you come from because that's country, right? <laughs> that's where I come from. <laughs> Showing where I come from. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I used to watch TV and, like, get excited about the girls in the city because the girls in the city, to me, were popping. Like, they had the style, you know, like, it was just so different than Wichita Falls, Texas, you know? <laughs> and so, like, like Rada said, um, when I came to Harlem, I was stoked to be there because it was, like, all, all these black and brown women that were doing amazing, important work um, and just to be a part of the conversation around how, how IFS could be useful in their lives. To me, I was like, we're talking about hair, we're talking about men, we're talking about, like, the main issues <laughs> that I struggle with and that I think we struggle with. Mm-hmm. So I decided to uh, stop straightening my hair when I was in social work school at the age of 26. Um, and like I said, I think that, you know, when we started talking about person and environment, I started thinking, okay, how has my environment and my experiences shape my thoughts about myself and the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of where I started to dig a little bit deeper. And I started seeing um, the disparities in the South. I was specifically in Austin because I went to University of Texas. And I remember like kind of being a, wanting to be a role model to other Black girls, you know, in Austin. Because what I noticed was like all the, the kids who I was in juvenile probation and I worked at the detention center. And all, most of the kids who were locked up were Black and brown. Um, And they were struggling with, like, taking care of their hair when they were locked up. And so I wanted to kind of show, like, you don't have to get a relaxer if you're locked up. You don't have to, you know, like, you can consider other options. And and I was like, I can't be a hypocrite. I can't tell them one that if I'm, you know, not willing to try it. So I was like, what what makes me have to have straight hair, you know? Like, let's try and see what else is, is possible. And I think for me, I was so shocked the first time I saw my curl pattern. And I heard that that's like really normal. Like you're like, whoa. Cause you just, you know, all the time I heard like nappy, bad. I didn't think curl, <laughs> you know, I just was like, it's a pro, <laughs> you know, like I didn't even right. put pro and curl in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. So I think like just the first time, and I remember going to school and I thought, oh, University of Texas, you know, I had to cut it short. So it was like the, the really, you know, short hair um, and it was curly and it was out. And I was like, oh my God, I was so scared to go to school. And I remember walking up and down the hallway there. I was like, I love your hair. Like, I got so many compliments. And I'm like... Isn't that feeling amazing, though? When, like, you think you think it's not hot. And then everybody and their mothers compliment you. It's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also, like, culture shock. Like, well, then right. why did I think it wasn't? You know, like, who told me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Where did I get that? I want to add to that, too, because you mentioned that moment, like when you see your natural hair texture for what it is. I think that the big misconception that people think or like for the people that have natural hair that have chemically straightened their hair since, you know, forever and ever. And then you finally see your curl pattern. It's not a matter of whether or not this is beautiful. I think is that you've never just been taught how to take care of it. So it's almost like the moment it grows. Let me let me like throw some creamy crap on that and then make it straight so that it goes away. And it's just like you don't even give it the opportunity to do what it does mm-hmm. and learn it so that you can cater to it. I, I definitely have to like agree with you on that one, because imagine if again, like if you're looking back and from such a young age, you're being told that you have to do this to your hair or you have to straighten it or you have to have it tied up this way. And like you're saying, not being taught how to care for your natural hair, because for, from generation to generation, right, you've been conditioned to, to think, oh, no, that's that's bad. You can't have your hair that way. If you right. have it naturally out or, you, or you, you know, deemed as like, oh, no, you're not um, kept, like you're not polished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having to hear that from time to time, and it, it really kind of, you know, just messes with how how you think or even act towards the hair. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. My first memory, or part of the reason why I stopped relaxing my hair, nothing big, nothing profound. I just always hated the relaxer smell. I don't know, 
Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, like eggs, and it was like it felt like it was frying your hair. Oh, oh my gosh! I, I just all the time hated the relaxer mm-hmm. smell. I hated going to the salon to get the relaxer. I hated when my hair smelled like the week of, like getting the relaxer. I want to say, like the first wash after getting the relaxer, then okay, I'm fine. But this is like two weeks in the making, getting ready for that following week because you can't scratch your scalp. Because if you do, you're making your scalp tender. And then once you put the relaxer in it, you know, you can get a scab. And then just like that straight chemically smell, I don't even know that chemically is a word, but it was just like not great. So when I went, when I went to undergrad at the University of Vermont, so Duran mentioned, you know, the person in environment. When I think about Vermont, which is at the time probably one of the whitest states in the country, there weren't a lot of places that catered to people with hair like mine. There weren't a lot of products. This is back in 2007. So the market that we now see for like natural hair products is not what it was. And then it's like, I'm finally making the decision of like, you know what? I don't like how this stuff smells. I'm going to just stop relaxing my hair. Good luck, sis. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck, sis. Good luck with that. But here we are 13 years later. Mm. And I would say it's one of the best decisions that I've made um, for my emotional self. So I think I'm going to have to cut out because my plane is boarding. But I want to say, I kind of just wanted to say that um, one of the things that struck me um, was that I thought I was the only one. Like I thought I I was Mm -hmm. the only one who thought I was ugly because I had dark Mm -hmm. skin and, and, you know, kinky hair. Um, but when I met Rada in Harlem, she was so vulnerable and like she shared some things with me about we worked on some parts around that. And it mm. felt so good to connect with her on that level. I think that's like one of the things that really bonded us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just I think that there's um, like something very empowering when we come together as women, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. And, and when we, you know, inspire each other. So I also hope that Rada will tell you a little bit about her experience with being or the, being a candidate for Miss New York. So if you oh. haven't heard the other podcast, we've been, we've been putting her on blast, but she doesn't want to talk about it. But we, we, I'm like, no, sis, we need to know because she's so beautiful. And like when she was telling me, like, Absolutely. you know, I grew up thinking that my hair was bad and my skin. And I was like, I was crying because I was like, if she feels that way, like, wow, like mine must be really deep because I think she's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh. And she did that when I said it. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you would have seen me right now, there, I'm like, oh no, like, you know. <laughs> Don't be modest. Don't be modest. <laughs> and you too, Nydia. I remember like just encouraging you to do this, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, this is so important. I feel like it was, it would have been important to me growing up. And it's important to me now, you know, like I said, that's why I'm in the airport about to board late. <laughs> because I just think that this topic isn't discussed enough and it's such mm-hmm. a, a core issue. Mm-hmm. Like how you see yourself and whether you see yourself as worthy, important, relevant, beautiful. Um, it's just so, it's so impactful to your mental health. So I think that's what I want to leave on. Well, thank you so much for joining, Duran, and I appreciate you for doing this on, well, number one, at the airport and catching this flight. Please don't miss it. (laughs) Thank you, Duran. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining, Duran. So before we get to the Miss New York story with you, I did want to ask, because we're getting closer to the end, about how do you feel IFS has helped you in your journey of awareness as it relates to colorism and texturism? Ooh. I think uh, when it comes to IFS, just this, the idea of really connecting with myself mm. and connecting with different parts of me that I was so afraid to, one, acknowledge, two, accept, and three, really work through. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was able to, and I'm still working, right? I'm still doing the internal work, but when I when I am able to connect with myself, I see all those parts of me, whether it's my skin color, my hair, like just me being me, Mm -hmm. um, or the woman that 
for so long I envisioned myself to be. Mm-hmm. And I think also part of what helped too was the, the pageant. Um, but I'm so appreciative of, of IFS. Like even when I, because um, I also did the, uh, the demo mm-hmm. um, and I was part, you know, just going through that and seeing how transformative it was for me mm-hmm. and just making that connection with myself and talking to parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and, you know, and imagining and closing my eyes and really like seeing myself and yeah. really saying, hey, yes, girl, step back, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like really connecting with with me and my soul, everything. And it also, it goes down to just even connecting with how I feel about myself physically or um, the way that um, I may come across, whether that's the way I speak or just, again, the way I dress or um, with so, so many parts, so many parts that, that come up for me. But I think it's, um, the most important is just truly reconnecting with who Rada truly is. Mm-hmm. So for the people listening, um, Rada, Lisa mentioned a demo. So in IFS, it's very helpful to not just, you know, read on the model and say, oh, you know, well, this is this and this is that. Because for me, it's a lot of like terminology um, but when you apply it, this is when you see like the gold of the model. So she mentioned a demo and a demo is a demonstration. It's exactly what it sounds like where you um, go through the steps of the, of the model and learn to get in tune with whatever parts are coming up for you. So the part could be sadness, it could be frustration, it could be fear, it could be whatever comes up for you. And then the way that I would describe it, because I also had a demo um, in my level one training, where it feels like like, um, like chess pieces. You're on the board. You're like looking, looking at yourself from the outside looking in. And then it's like you're moving these pieces in a way that works best for you. Right. Does it feel like that for you? Um, Similar-ish? Similarly. Um, okay. But the way that I'm recalling it, it was literally like, I think I was just stepping back and I was observing all mm-hmm. of my parts. Like mm-hmm. I was looking at the angry part, the sad part, the, mm-hmm. the you know, the, um, the part of me that was so afraid and anxious. Uh, it was just kind of so interesting. And there was, I remember a super woman part that came up and just mm-hmm. me acting it out. Like, oh, yes, I am a super woman. Like mm-hmm. that for me felt like, who, who is this person? Like, where mm-hmm. am I coming from? Where is she? Where is Rada coming from? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it was just so beautiful to kind of just, see myself and those parts and really connect with each and one of them. And in mm-hmm. IFS, they have this saying about like all parts of welcome, like there's yes. a bad part. And I love that because I think that I know for me for a long time, I felt like certain parts of me were bad and because mm-hmm. they were bad, like, you know, if they came up, if they took on an overactive role in a space where I didn't want them to come up, it was like all this shame around, well, why did I blow up that way? Like, why did I respond this way? This part of me is bad. And it's just like, when you get to know this part and why it is there and what it's doing, it's like, thank you for protecting me. Um, I may not receive how it was done. (laughs) Maybe things could have been a little bit different, but your sole purpose was to protect me. And for that, I'm thankful. Yes. Being so appreciative of the, that protective part or just all the parts that are coming up for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to hear about this story. I, well, I heard it in the initial podcast, which I'm going to add the link to this episode. So, um, I actually decided to participate, but I didn't place. I didn't place, which was kind of like, it was sad. Um, but again, I think the idea of even putting myself in that kind of platform Mm-hmm. Um, it also came from a place of, I have to show myself that one, I am not ugly. Right. Right. Two, I am not what, what people made or made me feel that I was because a, a big part was me wanting to show not only the women that I work with, like to empower them and to, and, um, to show them that their trauma doesn't define them. And similarly for me, because I was also in a very um, toxic and abusive relationship at the time that brought, you know, every, every, any positive thing that I could, I, I could have thought about myself, it was just shot beneath the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just being ridiculed down to my skin color, to mm-hmm. my hair, just being called 
names down to the N word because of, you know, everything, how I looked in that relationship. Um, it took a really, really like bad toll on me. So I said to myself, I'm like, okay, one, I need to do this pageant, not to prove anything to anybody, but just right. for myself, because I've always envisioned myself as being this woman that is empowering, mm -hmm. is um, so proud of um, representing her natural self, um, and just being me. I wanted to just show that and to show my teens as well that you can do anything you put your mind to, mm -hmm. you know, that you don't let your your circumstance, circumstances define you. If anything, that's what propels you to keep going forward yes. mm -hmm. and being more you know, powerful within yourself and much stronger. So just being able to um, participate was so, in a, in a sense, very, it was hard, right? Because I'm physically preparing myself. I'm mentally and spiritually preparing myself because again, I've never done this in my life. Uh, and like I, I said it in the, uh, on the previous podcast, uh, besides grad school, competing for Miss New York was the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm. Um, and so just to see how I was able to get up there, walk in those six inch heels, walk in a swimsuit, walk in that evening gown and mm. seeing myself from afar, I was just like, oh my God, that's Rada. That's the woman I've always dreamt of seeing and being. Oh my God. Like I was so in. In, in awe and also in shock. The one thing that I wish I could have changed was to stand my ground and let myself have my curly hair. Because even in there, you, you see how much they try to change you. Because mm -hmm. what they ended up doing was curling my curl already, like um, kind of straightening it a bit and then curling it with a curling iron so it could look curly but bouncy, not the way my natural curls usually look. So that's the only thing that if I can go back and do, I wish I would have done that because the purpose of me, again, wanting to compete was to show my true natural self mm -hmm. and be accepting of me, yeah. you know? Um, but it was such a, a, a powerful thing to mm -hmm. do. Um, a lot of courage. You have to have a lot of courage and, and really like willingness to want to mm -hmm. do, do a pageant. I think like I, I definitely, um, there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to pageantry, but being part of it and seeing what really goes into it. Uh, I met so many amazing women, many beautiful women inside and out, and I just commend them. And, yeah. but most importantly, I commend myself because, oh man, it was something so amazing to do. Absolutely. And, I think yeah. too, like as an outsider, when, we, when people watch pageants, they just assume, oh, you know, well, you just put this on and walk. And it's just like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. There's a lot of training that goes behind, you know, how you stand, how you walk, how you answer questions. Absolutely. A lot of work. A lot of work. A lot of preparation. And then, you know, even the idea of like, oh, she looks better than me. Or, oh, my gosh, she's so much prettier. She might get placed, right? That whole comparison. But so strangely, um, Lydia, I found that for me, um, I wasn't comparing myself. I felt like, like there was a part of me that I was just like, nope, this is me. If I got placed, great. If I don't, I, no one's better than anyone here. I, I'm just myself and I feel beautiful and I feel confident. And that's what I got to show and, and give. And the power, to, like when you get to that space in life where it's like, you know what? There's only one me. <laughs> yes. And no one could ever be me, not even on your best day. Yep. And, and just like this, it's almost like you glide through life at this point because it's like there's no having to keep proving yourself. Right. It's like I've already proven myself to me. And I believe that there's more for me out in this world. And what's mm -hmm. for me won't miss me. When I get to it, I'll get to it. But I think that this is like this golden confidence. There you go. That's the word that comes to mind. It's like yes. this golden confidence and aura about yourself. And also the people around you notice where it's just kind of like, yeah, I like being around her. Oh. I like being around yeah. her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I Again, I'm just appreciative of like the fact that I, I built the courage to, yeah. to do that. Because again, yes, it gave me a lot more confidence. And moving forward, right, even down to and like speaking, 
mm-hmm. and doing podcasts or in the future when I go in for an interview for a job or whatever the case may be, I am now prepared because that's what the beauty pageant did for me. It fully right. equipped me for what's to come in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I am so happy for you. I do have, so we have one final question and I wish Duran was on this too, but she said her closing remarks. So I'll ask you and by all means, this question, this, your response can be whatever you wanted or whatever you want the listeners to kind of leave with. So what's one tip that you would share um, that you feel like IFS has helped you with when it comes to building or contributing to your emotional wellness and well-being? So if you had to leave the listeners with one thing to be mindful of, what would that be? Set your boundaries. Mm. Setting boundaries with yourself because that's also the gateway to self-care, right? Being okay with yourself and parts of yourself when it comes to saying no, Mm -hmm. right? Wanting to just be by yourself, spending um, that time to just relax and be with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so crucial and it's, por- and it's so important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even there was a time before where I, I was not able to do that. I was afraid to be with me. Right. And I think IFS gave me the insight of like, no, no, befriend yourself, talk to yourself, be with you at all times, mm-hmm. because no one can take better care of you than you. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can't, you can't give Get, keep giving right because for me I think I'm just a na- I'm a natural giver and I also notice in the work that I do I just give 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 mm-hmm. and then I'm like burnt out but then I, I took it upon myself where I was like no no I have to sit back I really have to connect with myself set those boundaries because again no one's going to take better care of me than me that part so <laughs> I felt <yeah>. goosebumps <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Lisa. Where can people find you just to connect with you? Yeah, um, um, on Instagram, um, it's Rada underscore Zarzuela. So I mean, I can I can I send it to you yes, and you, like you I'll can send it in the link. Yeah, because I think my name is so like also complicated to spell out. But even on Facebook, you can find me by my full name. So I'll send all that info to you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining and thank thank you all for listening. Have a great day, y'all. Bye.